Would you open up to Isaiah with me? Fear not. I know we have a very, how can I say, very strong crowd here. Not too much fear going on in this room, I understand. So it probably doesn't apply to everybody in here but me. I'm the only fearful one in here. All right. Anybody else got a couple of fears going on? All right. Let's see what the scriptures do to us by the end of the sermon. All right. So let's, uh, let's go to uh, Isaiah 7. I'll read verses 1 to 14. I want to get a little more insight into what the text teaches us about Christ, especially about the virgin birth. We'll get an Old Testament perspective on the New Testament reality of Christ. Okay? Starting in 7 verse 1. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramallah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shezebel, your son, and at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to Wash's field, and say to him, Be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria, and the son of Romalia. Because Syria, with Ephraim, the son of Ramallah, has devised evil against you, saying, Let us go up to Judah and terrify it. Let us conquer it for ourselves and set up son of Tabeel as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, It shall not stand, and it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. Ephraim will be shattered from being a people, and the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Ramalia. If you are not firm in your faith, you will not be firm at all. Again the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask of a sign of the Lord your God, let it be deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men, that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your son has come. God with us. And we thank you, Father God, that we have these foreshadowings, these foretellings of the Christ to come, Father God, in a type and a shadow in the Old Testament, Father God. But the circumstances are the same. Fear has gripped the King of Israel as fear has gripped every human being. Without the Son of God, there is no hope in this world or the next. So, Father God, breathe upon this text. I pray that your people understand the depth of your love for this world, Father God, that you would give such a prophecy over 700 years before the coming of Christ, Father God. Let us understand what this meant to King Ahaz. Let us understand what it meant to Isaiah the prophet. Let us understand what it meant to all Israel. Let us understand what it means for us today, Father God. And let us be so very thankful, God, that the Son of God has come bearing all our iniquities, and he was crushed for all welfare. In Jesus' name, amen.
You know, when you go into the Old Testament, you take out an Old Testament prophecy like this concerning Jesus Christ. When you're not familiar with all the historical circumstances, the names, the places, the context, it's very sort of vague. And you really miss the just how enormous of a prophecy this is and how gracious God is. We're going to see the graciousness of God. And I can tell you right now, everyone in this room is going to identify with King Ahaz today. Every one of us. So if you don't see yourself in the text yet, by the end of the sermon, most of us will, if not all of us. Christmas comes and goes like it does year after year. And for most people of Christian persuasions, gift giving is one of the greatest characteristics of the season. We like to think about people. and We put thought into the, 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 the present or wherever we're going to get the gift. You know, we, we know, we listen to somebody throughout the year and we go out and get something. It's a beautiful thing to receive and to get a gift for someone. God's gift of his son to this world has multifaceted implications to it. And our text is going to show us tonight. Our story deals specifically with one of the components of the gospel. The gospel is the giving of Christ. And it's fear. Paralyzing fear. Fear not, Brian Martin. Emmanuel is with us. Put your name after fear not. Fear not. Emmanuel is with you. Emmanuel is with you. Fear, that emotion, whether it's real or perceived can be paralyzing at times. And we're going to see a a story tonight that's paralyzing King Ahaz. He's got a whole army behind him. He's got Jehovah behind him, but yet he's paralyzed with fear. And if you never had that experience before, I hope you never do. But for most of us who are human, sometimes fear can get the best of us. Fear has the ability to push us into the wrong direction while looking for right answers. King Ahaz is a man looking for a right answer, but he's going in the wrong direction only because he's fear-driven. But as for a Christian, for a believer, God is the only real answer to fear. Only God is. We need to have a God perspective. There was a promise to King Ahaz that Emmanuel would come. That would have been a sign from God's perspective of what God can do with a little. Though this verse in Isaiah is familiar, we sing it all the time throughout the year, sometimes especially around Christmas, the surrounding circumstances to most Christians are not. Most people might not realize what's taking place, and I'll do the best I can to clarify it today. I will speak on some of the components that give this verse its understanding. I will spoke about an historical context. You need to know that when it comes to dealing with Scripture, especially Old Testament. We have to understand the nature of prophecy. What does that do with you and me today? The relationship of the prophet in the Old Testament with the king of the Old Testament. Very important for us to know. And of course, the rest, uh, the New Testament fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Then some applications for our life today. I'm just going to take a sip of water over here. And I'm going to speak first on the nature of prophecy. I will give you a basic sketch, very short, so you have a working understanding of Old Testament prophecy, specifically the one we just read. Remember, this is about 735, 740 B.C. when this came into being. 
prophecy is the foretelling of some future event, either close, we talk about Old Testament, or far into the future, or both. Prophecy can be both. It could be an immediate fulfillment and a far-reaching fulfillment. It's usually for the encouragement of the king. The prophet would come to the king and give him a prophet prophecy from the Lord to encourage that people, encourage the encourage the people. The king was to follow God, the true king, and then the people would have a certain encouragement, knowing that our king's in control. Because you just got a word from God if you would listen to him. Ahaz didn't listen to him like many kings don't. It's usually given in some historical situation of importance. There's 22 prophecies of, about Christ in the book of Isaiah. Everyone comes at a very timely circumstance in the nations of, in the nation of Israel. It's over, prophesied over 60 years. Every time it came, out of these 66 chapters, these 22 prophecies, this is the first one. It always comes at a time of a, it's a crucial time in the nation's existence. It's not just prophecy. God has nothing better to do and say, Isaiah, stand up and prophesy. Something's taking place. Some prophecy also has a dual significance. Like I said, an immediate and partial fulfillment and a far-off ultimate fulfillment. And that's what we have here today. This is the first of one of 22 messianic prophecies concerning Christ in the book of Isaiah. All of them put together, all 22 prophecies, is a good study. Give us a composite sketch, composite sketch of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. That's prophecy. Second is the relationship between a king and a prophet in the Old Testament. The king ruled the people on behalf of God. And just a side note, only David and a few others actually did this faithfully over a thousand years. They were military strategists. They brought a sense of security to God's people, the sheep. Then there was the prophet of God. They represented God to the people. They would speak to the king and say, King, tell the people. The king led the people. The prophet spoke on behalf of God to the king and to the people. And a priest would represent the people to God. Usually the spiritual health of the king was the spiritual identity of the people under his care. If there was a righteous king, the people were. If the king was unrighteous, the people were. That's how it is today. People go where leaders follow. They'll follow the leader. Whether for correction, I should say, the prophet would be used by God to direct the king at crucial times in the nation's life. Whether for correction which was most of the time in the Old Testament. God was always correcting the king. God was always correcting the people. And for encouragement, which would come with the correction. Here's a wonderful thing about God. Every time he brings correction to the Old Testament people, he always brings a word of good news with it. He never left the people just a word of correction and rebuke without comforting them with the promise of the coming Christ. The prophet's message would be something like this. I'll paraphrase. You ready? Thus says the Lord Jehovah, even though you have been unfaithful and the people you have with you are unfaithful, nevertheless, I am the true king and God 
will always remain faithful to you. Basically, that's what it was. Sometimes it could take many chapters to say what I just said in the verse of Scripture. I'm going to say it again. God says this, Even though you have been unfaithful to me, king, even though you have been unfaithful to me, people, nevertheless, I'm the true king. I'm the true God. I will always remain faithful to you. Isn't that nice to know? That God would never leave us nor forsake us. Isn't he always steady? He's unchanging. Did you ever wake up after one morning saying, Oh God, what did I do last night? And who's there but the faithful God to comfort you? Yeah, he'll correct you. But he'll comfort you at the same time. That's our God. The same God of Isaiah, the same God of Israel, the same God here today. Even now in our disobedience, a lack of faith, God's saying this, I will save a remnant. No matter how bad you are as a nation, no matter how wayward your king is, I still have a remnant at all times. I will save true Israel. Whether Jews or Gentiles, that's Isaiah's message. Historically, this is important. King Ahaz finds himself in a very awkward position. You ever hear that sort of uh, between a rock and a... That's where he is, and it's not good at all. There are two other kings in alliance with each other. And they're threatening King Ahaz, and they're threatening the people in the whole city of Jerusalem to destroy it if they don't surrender to them and accept the plan they have for them. And the plan they had for King Ahaz was to remove him and set up a puppet king in his place. They were doing this to widen their own political and military power over the region. They're breathing down the neck of King Ahaz. It's critical mass. Something needs to be done. It needs to be done quickly or else it's over. This sets the whole stage for King Ahaz's reckless and faithless strategy. You ever make a bad choice in a pressing time? That's what we got going on over here. We got a present time, and we got someone who wants to get out of it real quick. And he doesn't want to do it God's way, because God's way is a little slower, but more thorough. A has a more quicker scheme to do this. It's a human error. We can all do it. This text speaks to us today. Instead of trusting in God for help, King Ahaz and his people want to make an alliance with this other nation called Assyria. Do you know who Assyria is? It's Israel's greatest and meanest enemy that ever walked. But he's so scared, he's thinking, I'll make an alliance with uh, the Assyrian king and he'll come and he'll help me. Instead of trusting in God. Ultimately, our prophecy of Jesus Christ finds itself smack in the middle of who will you trust? Ahaz, will you trust man? Or will you trust God? Where does this prophecy come out of anywhere? Here it is. Ahaz needs, he needs military strategy. He needs military strength right now. He doesn't want to hear about a virgin giving birth to a child. He needs now. I want now. I don't want to wait. What is this virgin stuff anyway? Where's the army? I need some chariots, God. 
There's something you have to learn as a Christian. God's way of doing things in our life always goes against conventional wisdom. Amen. Always goes against conventional wisdom. Conventional wisdom says pragmatism. Just make it work. God says no. Sooner or later it will fall apart again because it's a house of cards without God. If God's not in the middle of a believer's decision-making process, if God is not the foundation of decision-making process, it will ultimately fail. God will make sure it fails. I can go to the whole Old Testament to show you that. What we have here in this wonderful prophecy of a virgin given birth, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, is basically this. Isaiah, will you fear and trust God, or will you take matters into your own hand and make an alliance with king of Assyria to get the job done? Doesn't that speak to us today? Don't you just sometimes want to take matters into your own hand? I don't want to pray, I don't want to fast, I don't want to seek the pastor's help, I don't want the elders out. I just want to change real fast. Do you ever want to change something real fast? Sort of like the TV set. I just change it. It doesn't work that way. Let's go to our verse. Let's go to our text. And I want to read verses 1 to 9. And there's three elements I want to pick out of that before I move on. <coughs> Actually, what I want to do, I want to tell you about the three elements. And then you can see it as I'm reading. Okay, guys? So this will just be a teaching opportunity. Mm-hmm. Okay. You're going to have to wait until I speak about it. I'll read it first. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramallah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told, Syria's in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of the people shook. That's the fear. As the trees of the forest shake before them, when they heard the news, hot off the press, the first thing they did was go to fear. They didn't see God in the equation. And the Lord said to Isaiah, Isaiah, I'm going to paraphrase, do me a favor, go out and be King Ahaz. He's shaking like a leaf again. He doesn't know why. He doesn't know up or down over. He doesn't know my ways, Isaiah. Would you go and pastor his wayward heart? You and take your son with you. Take Sheba with you. That means a remnant shall live. At the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to wash his field, where the water comes from the mountains and it comes into Jerusalem, go there and say to him, King Ahaz, be careful. Be quiet. Do not fear. And do not let your heart be faint. How many times has God told you something like that? Stop being afraid, King Ahaz. You know why? Because from, from your perspective, you've got two of the biggest armies coming against you. But listen to God. Don't let your heart faint because of these two smoldering stumps. To God, they're nothing but a campfire going out. Of these firebrands at the fierce anger of resin and Seir. They're just words. In the son of Ramalia. Because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Ramalia have devised evil against you. Saying let us go up against Judah and terrify it. And let us conquer it for ourselves. And set up the son of Tobiel as a king in the midst of it. 
Thus says the Lord God, it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, I'm in control of it, is what he's saying. And the head of Damascus is Rezin, I'm in control of him too. And within 65 years, that's what he didn't like. That's too long for Ahaz. You don't want to hear about 65 years. You ever hear people say, why have everybody suffering? Why are the good people suffering? And I say, you want the long answer or the short answer? See, people just want a real fast answer to life's questions. I said, the short answer is one word, sin. And you're guilty. You want the long answer? Come to church and I'll teach you over a long period of time. I don't want to wait for 65 years. Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And ahead of Ephraim is Samaria, and ahead of Samaria is the son of Ramalia, and he's in my control. If you are not firm in your faith, that's all God asks him. You will not be firm at all. That applies to every Christian. Why can't we preach? (laughs) Here we go. Let me tell you something, what's going on here. These verses give us three elements. There is Ahaz's assessment of the problem as God, there's Ahaz's assessment of the problem and God's assessment of the problem. Who do you think has got the proper assessment? All right. There's our assessment of any problem, right? And then there's the word of God's assessment of every problem. Who's got the right answer? All right. So you got Ahaz's assessment, you got God's assessment. That's what we just read. King Ahaz and his team of advisors are surveying the water supply. Why? To try to determine if they can survive a siege. Do you have any idea about Old Testament sieges that could last two, three, four, ten years? You know what the Old Testament says they did during sieges? They would die in starvation. They would eat their young. If you're a student of the Old Testament, you would see that quite often. The thought of a conquering kingdom coming against you and laying siege to your little kingdom was nightmarish. Nightmarish. That's why they're shaking in their boots. They're shaking in their boots. Fear has gripped them and the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook like the trees of the forest before the wind. This is the emotional element. You can feel it. If you read it, go home tonight and just reread these 14 verses. Read it and see the emotional element, the fear that's gripped them, knowing that there's a sure, slow death coming upon them. They're paralyzed. The king, his advisors, and the people are paralyzed with fear. Then there's God's assessment found in verse 4. Isaiah said this. Be careful. Be quiet. Do not fear. And do not let your heart be faint. Because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands. From God's perspective, these two kings and their great armies put together at best are like a campfire coming to an end. But in the eyes of King Ahaz, this is it. Life's over. Did you ever get those problems? This is the end of my life. This is it. It's over. It's never going to go on again. Because God's not in the picture. When God's in the picture, trust me, you're going to go on. Ahaz had no faith at all. He's the king. 
They're coming to an end. Is what God is saying. They don't even realize it. Listen to verse 8. God says, for the head of Syria is Damascus. All right, what does that mean? And head of Damascus is its king. And that's Rezim. And within 65 years, Ephraim is another name, will be shattered from among people. That's God's way of saying their best days are behind them. Their end is imminent. That's the biblical way of saying it. God saying, I'm in control of their demise. I can raise a nation, I can lower a nation. I can raise a kingdom, I can lower a kingdom. I can do it in 65 years, I can do it in 24 hours. I'm the Lord your God. That's right. You see, Ahaz doesn't see it. Isn't that often the case we don't see it from God's perspective? How can you see God's perspective when all we are is filled with fear and anxiety over everything that moves? Ahaz doesn't see what God knows. Say praise God for the Bible. Because you would not know what God knows if he didn't put it in the scriptures. It'd be guessology. Hopeology. Some foolishness. Ahaz does not see what God knows nor believes. And this is the problem. Ahaz does not believe what God says. This is a sad reality in the Old Testament. It's a sad reality today. He says, be careful, be quiet. You can't hear my word. You won't believe what I'm telling you if all you're thinking about is your fear. If you're only thinking about the problem from your perspective, you will never hear what my word is encouraging you. You never can hear it. The heart's still preoccupied with what can happen. What's going to happen? Anybody ever been there? And the word of God is just trying to get in there somehow. Slow up. Think about the word. Think about God's perspective on this. The third one is this. That true faith, which all believers have been called to live by. It's a spiritual principle. Listen to verse 9. The head of Ephraim, listen to the logic, listen to our paraphrase. This is what God is saying. Listen, Ahaz, the head of Ephraim is Samaria. And head of Samaria is the son of Ramaya. And I'm in control of everybody. That's what he's saying. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. That's a question for every believer. If you're not firm in faith, you won't be firm at all. In this life, my job as a pastor, the job as this church, is to confirm faith in you and strengthen your faith so that you can stand no matter what life throws at you. That's my job. And before I can do it, I have to live by it. God is saying this. Who are these two mortal men to pose a threat against me, God? You're my king, Ahaz. He who comes up against you has to come by me first. Don't you know you're a believer? Before Satan or anybody can touch you, they've got to go through God. Don't you know that? What's going on in your life now? What fear has gripped you of the future? 
Whatever it is has to go through God. God is saying that. Who are these mere mortals to pose a threat against me and my kingdom? Listen to this. This is what God is saying. But if you choose not to believe in me and are not firm in faith about what I can accomplish, even in the face of terrifying odds, like I did at the Red Sea with Moses, like I did with Joshua at, at, at the coming down with the what city did he go around? Jericho. Jericho. Like I did with David and Goliath. Then Ahaz, there's nothing I can do for you. There's nothing I can do. If you don't believe what I'm telling you, Joshua believed and the walls came down. Noah built an ark. Guess what? It floated. Abraham believed and there was a child. If you believe Ahaz, something good's going to happen. But if you don't stand firm in faith and believe what I've done in the past and what I'm telling you I can do now, then you're not going to stand at all. We don't win battles as believers by the sword or by the chariot. We trust in God to win everything we have to go through. God is saying this, Ahaz, if I'm not the foundation of your life and ministry, then you have no hope at all. Brian, if I'm not the foundation of your marriage, it has no hope at all. If I'm not the foundation of your life, it has no hope. Sooner or later, life will ruin us. God has to be the foundation. Ahaz is finding out the hard way. He's saying this, don't trust in Assyria, don't trust in chariots, don't trust in horses, don't trust in man, don't trust in non-believers, don't trust in my enemies. Paul says this in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, why are you going to the world? You come to the church, you need help, you don't go to the world, you go to the church. Verses 10 to 14 reveal God's faithfulness and Ahaz's false humility. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, verse 10. Ask the sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol, as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David. Is it too little for you to weary men that you would weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. God in these verses is pleading with the king, knowing the ramifications of his faithlessness. Basically, God is saying, Ahaz, your faith is just too small. Ask anything possible for a sign to strengthen your trust in me. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of Moses, the God who did great things to all the leaders that came before you. Ask, and I'll give it to you. It's a blank check. Ask, I'll give you a sign, any sign you want to strengthen your faith. I know you've got small faith. Ask a sign, I want to strengthen your faith. Listen to Ahaz's answer. What a fool. Ahaz's answer is very revealing. Aren't words always revealing? He says, I will not test the Lord. I will not test. Doesn't that sound like a very 
noble exercise of faith. He quoted scripture. This man's false humility is camouflage for no faith in the power and the wisdom of God. A couple of verses doesn't hide his real distrust. How many times I'm speaking to people about God and they say, oh yeah, they'll quote a verse of scripture. I say, I don't care about this. Are you going to trust God in this situation? That's the most important thing. He does not want to exercise trust in the midst of prolonged threat. Are you with me? He does not want to exercise trust for 65 years in a prolonged threat. He wants an answer now. Now. I need to hear. I need need a miracle right now. I don't want to sign. Don't want to wait 65 years. He doesn't want to rely on God. You know why? He never has. Why should he start now? This all the more points to something greater, to God's grace. God's grace telling Ahaz, ask for anything. Even though you never trusted me before, ask. I'll do it for you. How good is God? God's basically pleading with him to trust him. This is the first of 22 messianic prophecies in the book of Isaiah concerning Christ. Therefore, he's saying, since you won't believe me or even ask for a sign to give you faith and start all over with me. Every time someone hears the gospel of Jesus Christ, do you know that's a fresh start? God's offering someone. Do you know that? Every time you tell someone about Christ, it could be the thousand time. That's a thousand time God went to somebody and said, start afresh with me. I'm giving you a sign. Therefore, since you won't believe or even ask for a sign to give you faith and start all over, behold, the virgin, I'm going to give you a sign. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. But God just told Ahaz this. Instead of a sign to encourage you, it will be a sign against you. That I was with you, but it did you no good. Let me take a moment to digress a little bit about Old Testament prophecy. To be sure, in the long run, this is a prophecy of Jesus Christ. The New Testament uses it. But there would have been some immediate fulfillment within Ahaz's life. Maybe a daughter, maybe a granddaughter, maybe someone's child was about that time actually given birth to a child. Within the time of that prophecy being over, probably the very moment he was given a prophecy, there was a virgin somewhere in the court, in the house of this king that was given birth and it was a sign that God knows exactly what he's doing scholars don't know exactly who it was but there was a, a, a small immediate fulfillment and a larger fulfillment for the world in Jesus Christ I'll explain it when I get to the New Testament 
He goes, because you didn't listen, I'm going to give you a sign. But it's not for your good. It's against you. You and your nation will suffer the consequences of no faith. But one day there will be an ultimate fulfillment of this promise. And then all true Israel. And even true believers from amongst Gentiles will know that God is with them. Do you know God is with you today? The prophecy was a rebuke in its original setting. It was a sign against Ahaz. And this sign against Ahaz, this sign against unfaithfulness, this sign against trusting in self, this sign against trusting in man and not trusting in God became the bedrock of New Testament religion. Only God can do it. Only God can do this. God himself became man to show us that he's really, really with us. And to finally give us hope in the midst of all the storms of life. To the point that even death has been conquered. That we don't even have to fear death. Because Jesus Christ became flesh and blood. And he disarmed him who had the power of death. That's Satan. Let me give you New Testament understanding. Emmanuel with us means Savior. It means coming king. God with us. Isaiah said, Emmanuel shall be with you. But Paul says, Christ, the hope of glory is in us. Who's better off? Isaiah said, Emmanuel. Paul said, you're more than conquerors. Isaiah said, Emmanuel. Paul says, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Isaiah said, Emmanuel, Jesus said, fear not, you trusted God, trust me also. Someone greater than Isaiah has come. Isaiah says, Emmanuel, Jesus says, me and the Father are one, and we will dwell in you. If I went to application now, and I might. Why are we still afraid of anything? What are you afraid of? What are we afraid of? What what fear has gripped us? What's paralyzing us about life? Are we trusting the word of God? Ahaz didn't trust the word of God. He didn't trust the promises of God. He didn't trust the prophet of God. He didn't trust all God's work in the Old Testament in Abraham's life, Isaac's life, Jacob's life, Moses' life. Uh, uh, Joshua's life, David. He didn't trust any. All this great work of God, Ahaz didn't trust anything. Do you know what one of the major requirements to be a king was? You had to read and study and write the whole Old Testament. He knew all the stories, but he believed in nothing. How many Bible studies are we going to go to? How many church services are we going to go to? How many times are we going to read our Bible and still be shaken like leaves every time life throws fear at us? Amen. You were like King Ahaz. Nothing's changed. He was looking to a promise in the future. We have him in our hearts. What is the area of life that brings you the greatest fear and anxiety? We all have it. We all have it. 
I have mine. I know mine. I know my wife. She knows mine. We pray for each other. We have them. Let it drive you to the word of God. Let it drive you to God with us. Emmanuel. Who will never leave you nor forsake you. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. As God pleaded with Ahaz, I'll give you a sign. Do you know God is pleading for us? you know Christ is pleading for your faith right now? You know the story, right, Peter? Jesus told Peter, Satan acts to sift you like a sieve. But I prayed that your faith would sustain you. He didn't say, I'm going to pull you out of it. He didn't say, I'm going to rebuke the devourer. He goes, I'm going to pray that your faith sustains you. And you realize who you really believe in. You realize I'm truly the son of God. That your sins are forgiven. And that Satan has no power over you. I'm going to pray that you believe what the scriptures say about me. That's what he's saying. That's my prayer for you. Every Thursday night, you can't come in here on Thursday night. Me, John, and the saints are not praying for the faith of this church. Because I can preach all I want. Christ can come here and preach. But if your faith is not being tested at times of fear and anxiety, there's nothing nobody can do. Not even God. I'm going to close with this. There's more. Listen to Jesus in Luke 21. Can we put that up there? I want to talk about the ultimate fear. Are you ready? Hopefully you can handle this. Let me talk about the ultimate fear. Ahaz was at a crucial time in the nation's history. And God gave him a sign to encourage him. He didn't want any of the... Anything to do with it. But there's going to be the greatest fear is yet to come. Listen to the way Jesus says it here in Luke, verse 25. Talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. There's only one prophecy yet to be fulfilled. There's one messianic prophecy left. The second coming of Jesus Christ. Say it with me. One prophecy remaining. The second coming of Jesus Christ. Listen to what the world will be in right before he comes. Listen. And there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, in the stars. And on the earth, distress. That means being pressed down like in a, in a, in a wine vat. Being pressed down. On the earth will be the stress of the nations. In perplexity because of the roaring of the seas and the waves. People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. The powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in the cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up, raise your heads because your redemption draws nigh. Let me explain something to you now that has everything to do with the first prophecy in Isaiah and how it correlates to me and you today. 
Ahaz was at a critical time with the nation. Fear had gripped him. And he basically said, look to me and not look to man. At the second coming of Jesus Christ, this world will be filled with such distress and foreboding that men will grow cold in their hearts towards one another. The world's going to look for a scapegoat. Guess who it's going to be? It's going to be you. It's going to be me. It's going to be Jesus. It's going to be the Bible. It's going to be the Christian faith. They're going to attack us. And Jesus says, look up. Your redemption draws nigh. Oh, we need a new president to save the church. You don't need a conservative president to save the church. Jesus saves the church. Man doesn't save the church. Oh, we need Jesus. We need, we need, you know, you have a savior. And no one can stand before Christ. And the church can do the same thing Ahaz did. When time it came, it was crunch time. They wanted to run. We need, let's go to the Assyrians. The Assyrians will save us. Or the Democrats will save us. Or the Republicans will save us. The conservatives will save us. No, Jesus already saved you. Look up. Don't worry about the world. That's what Jesus is saying. Go home, read Revelation, starting in chapter 15. And see what's going to happen to this world. Evil foreboding, fear. Look at the ecologists right now. Just the thought of global warming. And they're going nuts. Wait till they see the asteroids coming. Wait till they see the waves coming. Wait till they see the tsunamis coming. Wait till they see the famines coming. Wait till they see the pestilence coming. Wait till they see the disease coming. Wait till they turn around and say, what in the world is going on? It must be the Christians. Get them. Or Donald Trump. Maybe he's behind it all. I don't know. A little conservative joke. The world looks for a scapegoat. And we're in. Praise God. Praise God. Look up. Our redemption draws nigh. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? What is it today in your life you're afraid of? What's gripped you? Bring it to the Lord. And I'll test you with this. You have weak faith? Ask him for a sign of how much he loves you. He'll give you a sign. In the midst of that storm, he'll give you a sign and say, I'm with you. I need 65 years. I I need about a year. I'll change the circumstances. Give me a little time. I can't change it right away. I got a plan. Ahaz, I have a plan. You got to wait some time, though. Or do we want it real quick? Who wants it quick? (laughs) The pastor's wife was the first to end up. I don't know if if that's a reflection on me or not. (laughs) Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord. Emmanuel is with us. We fear not. We look up. Our redemption draws nigh. The fear in this world, Father God, is a trajectory going from bad to worse. They will not know what's going to happen when the end comes, Father God. It'll be like the days of Noah. They'll be buying and they'll be selling. They'll be marrying and giving in marriage until the rains came and the heavens opened. And then they understood the end was near. Father God, let us look up now. Our redemption draws close. We're closer to salvation today than when we first believed. Help us all, even this preacher, God, when it comes to the inner fears we have about life and about the future. Help us all, God. Come into Sonship Ministries, God, 
and deliver us from fear. Father, I pray for this congregation. I pray for myself and all of us. Wherever fear is hiding, wherever fear is lodging, whatever forebodings we have about the future, what if this happens? What if that happens? What if this happens? What if they this and they this and they this and they this? God, let us not listen to the noise. Let us listen to the word. Let us be careful, as you told Ahaz, and to be quiet and to stand still and stop worrying and pray more in Jesus' name.